morning something that, for, to be honest with you, uh, I've been a little bit nervous about tackling because it's a hard thing to tackle. It's a difficult thing to start off with. And so the reality is, is that in our culture nowadays, a lot of people would tell us something that as Christians, that you are not supposed to judge, right? You've heard it before. You've heard that people say, man, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, You're not supposed to be a judging person. You are supposed to just kind of let people say what they want to say and do what they want to do and and such. And so, again, as a Christian, no judging. Now, the question we're going to tackle today is, is that question accurate? Is that statement true? Are we, as Christians, supposed to judge people? Because the reality is, and the the frank answer, I'll just be, be honest today, as politically correct as possible, is yes. God has called us to judge. Believe it or not, that might be surprising for some of us this morning, but it's true. Now, and even people on the other side of the fence know it's true as well. Think about this for me if you would. Imagine you're going to a, uh, 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 coming home from work one day, and you're, you're driving up to your house, and you pull into your driveway, and you see the door wide open in your front door, And you see some guy in a black ski mask running out of your house with your TV in his arms. Okay? Now, he comes out of of his house with a TV in in his arms. He's running down the the, the streets, and you are going to make a judgment call at that moment, right? You're going to say, hey, man, that's my TV. Get back here, right? But, well, wait, wait, I'm, I'm not supposed to judge. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe that's actually his TV, okay? Maybe in reality, that's in some alternate reality that he has knowledge of that I don't have knowledge of. Uh, maybe he actually bought that TV from Best Buy. And so maybe he bought it. And, and so basically, uh, that's his. It belongs to him. And so if I take that TV from him, I'm taking his TV. And so maybe I need to realize and learn that, okay, maybe that doesn't belong to me. And maybe what happens here really is that uh, I get the TV on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and he gets it on Mondays and Wednesdays, you know, and we have to learn how to share because it belongs to both of us, and his world, he bought from Best Buy, and my world, no, of course not, right? We're going to make a judgment call in the minutes based on what we know is true and what is not true. That, folks, is reality. God has called us to judge at times. But, you know, judging can also get us in trouble, too. Sometimes when our youth pastor wants to dump stuff on our, on our shoulders, we judge them immediately, right? But uh, no, uh, there's a story told of a, of a, a trucker, a, a young man who was kind of a, a wimpy guy. He was wiry, he was skinny, he was uh, not real aggressive, and he was definitely not the typical trucker kind of guy. Stories told of him going into a truck stop in Nebraska years ago and pulling in and fueling up and then going into the restaurant and having a burger and fries and coffee, as he sat down there, uh, he, there was three biker guys that walked in to the restaurant and began to harass him. 
Now, these guys had before because he was kind of a wimp. And so that's kind of how they judged him, that he wasn't a real man, that he wouldn't respond to this. And so uh, one guy grabs his burger, starts eating it. Another guy grabs his French fries and starts eating the French fries right in front of him. And then the last guy was the most brazen. He takes his coffee, uh, sips a few sips, and takes the top off and dumps it over his head. And the guy looks at them with this look, and he said, he didn't say a word. He just stood up. He with calmly walked out the door and walked to the front and paid his money on the front counter and walked out and got in his truck and drove off into the night. And so these guys, these biker guys are inside, and they're laughing. That guy's not a real man. And, and the, the waitress said, you're right. He's not a real man. He's also not much of a driver. He just drove over three motorcycles out there in the parking lot as he left. You see, sometimes, sometimes judging can make us look foolish too. So how are we called to do it? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a news clip on, on the internet, and it was a well-known politician in America who was talking about the Planned Parenthood situation and debate. And this politician was interesting, who does not really believe the word of God is, is accurate and true and, and all that kind of stuff. He, he begins to preach a message, and he got his preacher talk down too, man. He was getting into it. He brings out a scripture and starts preaching on his scripture, and he said, he actually said, I'm going to teach Christians from the Bible how they are to re- react in situations like Planned Parenthood. He begins to preach this message, and I, can anybody guess what the scripture was? Anybody? Judge not lest ye be judged. That's the one he brings out. What's funny is he actually said, judge not lest ye be judged. Doesn't he know we have the NIV? I mean, seriously. You know, and so he he says these words. It's fascinating. A lot of times people outside the church, outside Christianity, would say, this is the reason. Your own Bible tells you not to judge. Your own Bible tells you you're, you're wrong when you judge people, so stop doing it. We hear that a lot in the world. And you see, the reality is, is that whether religion, behavior, sexuality, or, or whatever it might be, there's a growing sentiment in America that tolerance is good because what's real and true is what's real and true for me. My experience of right and wrong, my experience of truth, what, how I experience this, that's what's true. There's a growing sentiment of that, and that's tolerance in our nation. And, and the truth is, is that people view tolerance like that as righteousness. They say, you are righteous, you are right, if you view the world like that. If you say, what's right for you is what's right for you, what's right for me is what's right for me, so we're not going to talk about right and wrong. If that's how you see your life, then you are righteous. Of course, we know in the, in the, in the Christian world, that's quite the opposite of what righteousness really is, don't we? If there is a standard, there is truth, if there is righteousness, and it's pretty, pretty close, it's pretty honest, and it's pretty true, and, and this is why non-believing people love Matthew 7.1. See, Christians, your own Bible says you're wrong. Stop, and you need to repent. Now, if, if you're not a follower of Christ, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? 
Well, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to say what's right and wrong? Who are you to say that this is, this is good? Who are you to say that God is, is, is anything? I mean, who are you to do that? If you're not a follower of Christ, it kind of makes sense. The problem is, the, the problem is, is that, is that we are people who are sinful, of a sinful nature. That's what a person who believes that way can't possibly overcome. That we have a sinful nature. Sin causes you and I not to play fair. Take tolerance to its logical end, and what happens is you have what's best for me is the ultimate good in life, and so I am going to do whatever it takes to get that to happen, if that means I have to run you over in the process, then so be it. Because what's right is what's right for me. And that, folks, is a dangerous, dangerous view on right and wrong. It's happening in our world nowadays. Anyone says that's not tolerance, or who says that's, that's not what tolerance is, let's be honest, has a logic problem, don't they? The question comes back to our original question, uh, should Christians judge? Has God called us to judge? Now, no one has a problem with judging if you judge that I'm a wonderful person. Okay? Now, let's just be honest today. I am good looking. I am wonderful. I am fantastic. I am dressed well. Uh, my hair is, no, I don't have any, but it doesn't matter because my head's perfect. You know, and, and all this truth... All this truth, it's really true. You know, if you judge like that, nobody has a problem with that, right? If you judge that what you're doing is great, great, thank you very much. The problem comes, we start to judge people, and it, and it, it goes against what they want to do in their hearts. The problem is, is if that person has not been changed by the power of Jesus Christ, they will live their lives for me and me alone. That is a problem that needs to be addressed. People might say, you don't have a right to tell me what's right and wrong, because what's right for you is blah, 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 you, you know what I'm talking about, so... So should we be judging people? Well, again, the Bible, of course, calls Christians to judge. Here's a few examples. And I could go through hundreds, literally, of examples. I had to pull out uh, some, but it was hard because there's so many. And so here's a couple here. Luke chapter 17, verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Now, you can't do that without a level of judging, right? Ephesians 5, verse 11, it says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Again, you can't expose unfruitful works of darkness until you judge that they are unfruitful. Perhaps the greatest one is John 7, 24, where it says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgments. We've got to pause there for a minute. Because I remember years ago, I was, I was talking with a friend of mine who I went to high school with who is a pronounced atheist. And he has a history in the church and such, and I won't get into that, but, but him and I had an argument about is the Bible accurate and true, and does the Bible have uh, perceived or imperceived or, or whatever else, does the Bible have contradictions in it? And this was one spot where he said the Bible contradicts himself, itself. Because he said, well, one spot, Jesus says, judge. Another spot, Jesus says, don't judge in Matthew 7, 1. So he said, well, the Bible is not accurate because it has got contradictions. And again, at first glance, it could feel like that's the case. 
But I've learned a few things uh, in my life that when there is a perceived contradiction in the Bible, to buckle up, to buckle in, and listen up, because there is a nugget of truth that is valuable and important to understand from that spot. So first of all, we have to, we have to establish something, that God is the authority on judging. Scripture makes it very clear that God is a just and righteous and holy judge. Scripture is clear that he alone has the authority to determine right and wrong motives and behaviors. The Old Testament talks about how God is a right and just judge. Uh, Psalm chapter 9 verse 8. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgments for people in uprightness. Psalm 56 let the heavens declare the righteousness for declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge, Selah, which means, of course, to pause and think. And then the last one, Isaiah 33, 22, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. The Old Testament is full of passages just like that one. And then the New Testament kind of continues here because in the New Testament, God gave the authority that he had to judge uh, to, judge to Jesus. John 5, 22 says, For the Father judges no one, but has, com- has committed all judgment to the Son. That is good news for you and for me. Because it's through his blood, through his act on the cross, it is through his action. You know, there's, again, nothing we can do that make us good enough for him. It is his blood, it is his life, it is his body, broken and given for us, that gives us hope to live a a life that he's called us to live. And that is good news. He has given the righteous ability to judge, and the Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he advocates for us at, at God's hand and God's right hand and says, this person has come, is not perfect, but they've come to Jesus, said, come to me, I've forgiven them, they are clean, they are washed clean, they are made whole. Who thinks that's good news this morning? That is good news. It could be no better news. And see, in a world filled with people who believe in moral relativism, that you can achieve anything good without Jesus and the cross, this will be a day filled with fear. And, and I, I, again, I'll be honest, uh, on the authority of the Bible, that's what I have to tell you. If I, if I didn't tell you that, I would be an heir as a pastor. That is what is the reality and the truth. But if you think and you live and operate like you can do anything, but you can have any wonderful thing outside of the blood of Jesus Christ, outside of forgiveness. You can just try to have a better marriage or try to have a better life. Without Christ, you will fail. And there is a sentiment in the church nowadays that tells us, man, if you just try a little harder, just do a little better, and you try to do this better and try to act this better, that, that God will forgive you and will like you. And that's not true. It's Jesus Christ him crucified, his blood, his body broken for us. There is nothing else but him. The judge of the universe has made a judgment about salvation. For Acts 4.12, for there is, nor is there salvation in any other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's a narrow truth, isn't it? 
That's a very narrow idea. You say, well, that sounds narrow. How about this? And how about that? Well, God is a just and righteous and holy judge. But truth is narrow. Just as narrow as my buddy who was taking my TV, my, my, my first story, uh, there's a narrow truth on who the thief is there and who the thief is not. Right? How do we get that truth and understand that's the case, but have such a hard time when it comes to truth that matters more than anything else? How do we have such an easy way of understanding, well, there is right and wrong, but the right and wrong is only when I want to be right and wrong, but the right and wrong that is right and wrong that matters more than anything else is, can be seen to be very, well, who knows what's right and wrong? Why do we do that? So we've got to nail in here and understand. And again, I know I'm, I'm kind of talking to the, to, the, to the choir here in some, 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 some states here and, and such. And so the truth is, is, is narrow. And, and young, especially young people in school, you will be bombarded by this idea that says, well, no one can know what's right and wrong. And you tell them, yes, they can. Pull out a yardstick and say, how long is this yardstick? Is it a foot or is it 10 feet? It's, the, the truth is very narrow, isn't it? Of course, it comes back to the fact of how do you know the truth, and that's a whole other message and a whole other ballgame that, that we'll get into at some point. But the reality is that the Bible and the Word has been around much longer than any of us have been around. It is to the test of time. It is God's Word. It is God's, God's voice and God's, God's challenge to us of salvation. It's, it's, it's important. It's valuable. It's helped us find freedom. It's amazing. It's what God has given us, and it's the truth. So how do Christians fit in the call to judge righteously? That's where we're going to go the rest of this day today. And one thing that we're going to use, we're going to talk about, is the very mess, the very scripture that many people would say, this is why you shouldn't judge. And we're going to focus today on Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. So if you would today, go there. Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 through 6. We're going to start out there and. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you not be judged. Again, most people know that scripture by heart, don't they? Now, when you hear this scripture talked about, here's a thing to remember that will help you to know the direction you need to go with this, is that judge not is not the end of the story. Judge not is not the end of the story. That this scripture, this passage continues. There's a context here. And when you pull scripture out of context, you pull it out of a thought, it can mean just about anything you want it to mean. That's why it's so important you study the word, study the context, the, the thought, the whole idea that is incredibly important in this passage. Judge not, lest you be judged, is not the end of the story. How did I know? Let's skip down to verse 6 of the same thought here in context. It says, do not give dogs what is holy, Throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack, turn to attack you. So is Jesus schizophrenic here? Does he say don't judge? And then, because to do this part, to do verse 6, you have to judge, don't you? You have to determine, okay, who is dogs and who is pigs? And that seems kind of mean and seems kind of terrible, whatever. But, but, but he's, 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 he's proving a point here that says it is invaluable and important as a believer to judge with righteous judgment. And that's where we're going to go here this morning. That's valuable. That's important. The answer is to learn to judge without being judgmental. Verse 2, as we continue, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? A paradox to prove a point. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrites! First take Jesus, some, you know, Jesus was such a milk toast kind of guy, was he? just kind of floated around and was so nice. You hypocrite, first take this, the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your, your brother's eye. Do not give the dogs, etc., etc., what is holy, and your pigs before, your pros before your pigs, let's say trample them underfoot, and turn to attack you. Jesus here is giving us wisdom on how to judge, not judgmentally, but judge righteously. The first thing here, I pulled out three ideas here that help us with this. Number one is judge carefully. Judge carefully. See, so often I think that a lot of us, we dole out judgment like we dole out whatever else. We just kind of judge here, judge there, judge here. Jesus here is saying, when you judge, judge carefully. Several years ago, a book came out by a guy named Rob Bell. And, and Rob Bell was a, a minister who pastored a church not far from where I used to work in, in western Michigan. Uh, he's, you know, I'm not going to talk about his, his whole viewpoint, but at one time he was considered a pretty, uh, a pretty normal preacher and teacher. And he kind of went outside of that and kind of is a small word to say that. But he wrote a book several years ago that rocked the Christian world called Love Wins. And, and I read the book because it was such a big deal. A lot of people read the book. It was a huge deal. And, and, and Rob Bell, who is now who has left his church now, and he's, now he is the advisor spiritually to Oprah. Uh, I should tell you a little bit about Rob Bell. And he's kind of moved out and to California and such, and he's kind of done his thing. But his whole idea in the book was that as God being a righteous judge and a holy judge, that someday that when he comes back, that he is going to judge the world with grace and that anybody and everybody is going to be okay and go to heaven. That there is no hell, that there is no, that there's just no hell, there's no whatever else, that that's how it's going to be. That was his whole premise. He, 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 he took about, about you know, 150 pages to kind of break that down and, and the reality is that wasn't a new idea. Uh, that's called Christian universalism. It's a thought process that's been around for hundreds of years. Uh, Rob Bell, frankly, uh, didn't do a very good job of really proving the point. But a lot of people have believed that for years, and a lot of people can be wrong, right? Rob Bell read that down and talked about that, and what happened here is I have a friend of mine who is a little liberal, and he and I had this very heated discussion on this book, but he did uh, if you were there with us, to be an understatement, because we had a knockdown, drag-out argument with this book one time. And, and he said, well, is it true? And I said, no, it's not true. He goes through his thoughts, I had my thoughts, but then my friend said something that has struck me, and again, it's, it's not true, there's a heaven, there's a hell, absolutely, but he said that struck me that was really, really, I've thought about a long time, he said, do you agree? I said, no, he said, well, I hope it's true. I paused and I thought, man, well, it's not and such. And, and I, I went down on the reasons why it's not true and such. And again, it's, it's not true. But you know, it got me thinking. As a Christian believer, as a man who believes in, in faith and believes in Jesus and believes in walking like he's called me to, sometimes I get so caught up in 
pronouncing judgment on those that disagree with me that I felt like it's possible that there's a little part of me that says, I'm kind of glad there's a hell. Because I've tried so long to look righteous and act righteous and do right things. And it's almost like I'm, like we're the bratty kid in the playground, right? You know the kid that, that, that's, that, it's that kid that's just, you know, when you mess up, when somebody messes up, they're the first one, the teacher. Teacher, guess what so-and-so did? Guess what they did? I would never do that, teacher. I would never be like that. That's not me. And then the first one's there. And sometimes, church, that's what we're like. And there's a little bit of us, but to be honest, is today that says, I'm kind of glad there's a hell because I'm trying and I'm working and I'm putting forth effort to look like a good person and they, don't dis- they disagree with me and they're going to go there if they're not right. The reality, church, is this. It is an absolute tragedy that there's a hell. It's a tragedy that people will go to hell someday. It is a tragedy that people someday will find themselves there. It is a tragedy of utmost epic proportions that someday people are going to go there. And I'll be honest with you, there's a part of me that's just a little too lackadaisical about that. And you know why? You know why I think that that's how it is for me? There's a part of me that's my walk with Christ and my religion and all that kind of stuff has to do not with, with judging righteously, but judging judgmentally. See, church, if we're not heartbroken over that idea, if we're not heartbroken over the fact that someday people will go to hell, if that doesn't break our hearts, then we have to do some soul searching. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, maybe I'm part of the problem here. If we're not heartbroken over lost people going to hell and willing to do just about anything to help them out of that, we are in danger of judging judgmentally. If we fail to see the loss and their sin, the eyes of grace and the hope for redemption, we're doing it wrong. See, throughout history, God's plan God's work, God's place, even God's anger and God's frustration, God's retribution against sin has always ended in one place. Redemption. So God calls us to judge righteously. He's calling us to judge redemptively. And sometimes, I don't know about you, maybe you're better than me, but sometimes I think that I lean a little more on the side of retribution than I do the side of redemption. So it's no wonder why so often I find myself being judgmental and not judging righteously because I'm doing it wrong. And I think a lot of us probably walk in the same place. There's two things that keep us judging judgmentally. Number one is self-righteousness. I'm a pretty great person. I don't, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't know what the girls are doing, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a great person, you know, and, and so, you know, I'm pretty bad, sure, but not that bad, and so we have a tendency to look down and know and say, well, look at me, I'm, I'm okay, and none of us, we, we're, we're, we're smarter than this, we would never say, well, come on, I mean, I'm not perfect, but we, we all admit that, but there's a part of us sometimes that says, but I'm not that bad. See, if, if, if the sin of people doesn't, doesn't bring us to our knees, say, God, I'm 
heartbroken over sin and heartbroken over people that are going to not, that don't know Jesus Christ and don't know the, the joy and the forgiveness that I have. We are in danger of being, of being self-righteous, in danger of judging judgmentally. Here's a few truths I want to share with you this, this today. Truth, your sin stinks as bad as the worst sinner. Truth, you have not arrived, you are a work in progress. There's a million-dollar word for this in the Bible. It's called sanctification. It's a good long word. What it simply means is it means that you are being made holy. That is not by your grace, not by your efforts, but it is by a marriage of, the, of your, 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 your obedience to God and his grace for you that has made you able to walk in holiness. It doesn't come from anything else but that. The marriage of his grace and the marriage of your obedience to him. Why do I say be obedient? Why do I talk about that all the time? Because that's all we can do is be obedient. That's all we can do is say, God, I want to be obedient and do what you've called me to do. It doesn't come by any other place, way but by that. There's a term we use for this here at Bridgeview, and it's called embrace the journey. There are people in this room who are in all different parts of the journey. Some of us are brand new on the walk. Some of us in this, ch- in this church that are sitting here today are new believers. There are people here today that are newer to, the, the, to, to Christ. They've not known Christ for a long time. And you know what? There's some that have been here that are Christians that have known Jesus for many, many more years than I've been alive. And there's people in all different parts of that journey. And you know what? That is okay. We embrace the journey. We embrace that we're not perfect, that we've not arrived yet, that we're not there yet. It is by God's grace and not your effort that you have found the truth that brings life. And I'll be honest with you, church. I had thought that I had believed that for much of my life until years back when God convicted me and said, Steve, you don't. You say it, but you don't believe it. That's a problem for a lot of us believers. We say it in one hand, God, I believe in your grace and mercy. If I look at my life, my life and my life and how I live and my words and how I say, they don't always add up. When it comes to judgment, it's critical that those two things add up. Number two today, number one again is self-righteousness. Number two is hypocrisy. What you say and who you are doesn't match up. You know, we're, as Christians, really good trying to look really good, aren't we? Come to church with a smile on our face and come to church with, you know, you know a, 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 a happiness in our heart and such when just minutes before we were fighting with our spouse and our kids were angry and our kids were, you know, throwing things at the wall and all that kind of stuff. You know, we're good at putting forth a really good look, aren't we? And the reality is that none of us have it together. Guess what? You pastor. I fight with my wife sometimes. My husband, okay? If you, if you don't like that, I'm sorry because it's just the truth. I'm a pastor. I, I struggle with things sometimes. There are times when I want to, when I, when I think I should be spending time in the Word, and I don't. There are times when I mess things up. There are times when I look down my nose at somebody else. It happens. Did I just ruin my, my, my view to you? I'm sorry, but I'm not perfect. I'm just not. I know, I know who has made me. I know who has changed me. I know who is working a work in me that, believe me, if you knew me uh, 20 years ago, as my mom did, you would know that God's doing a good thing in my life. 
Here's a good thing to sum up our, our part here. is who I am when no one's looking, who I am when everyone is looking. The answer to that will be life-giving to those of us around us and to ourselves as well. It's who I am when no one's looking. The same person is who I am when everyone is looking. See, verse 2 is challenging in regards to judgment. With the measure of judgment you use, it will be measured to you. Again, it doesn't say you, you, you don't judge. It says how you judge we measure to you. Now, here's, the, here's how we can kind of take this to its end right here. If I judge, and I measure out heaping helpings of condemnation and guilt, and that's where it ends, this gives me a pretty good idea of how I'll be judged in the end. I don't know about you, but I would rather be judged with heaping measures of grace and mercy. See, grace and mercy does not mean gloss over it. For some reason, we have the idea that says, well, if I have grace and mercy, it's just all forgiven and forget about it, and we're all happy, and we're going to go and have a potluck dinner. No! Grace and mercy does not mean it's glossed over. We're going to get to that in the third point today. But I want to be, be measured, be judged by measures of grace and mercy. Number two point is, remember, you too can be wrong. Believe it or not, I'm a firstborn, and I don't like to admit that I'm wrong very much, but guess what? Sometimes, once I was, sometimes we're, we're wrong. And I want to say a lot about this right here, but I, it's fascinating the, 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 the paradox that Christ gives us here in verses 3 through 4. When he says that there is a plank in your eye as you try to get out the speck in your brother's eye. Isn't that fascinating? You know, picture that. You know, picture your, you're up to your, your, Joe, come up here, if you would, here. Come here. Now, picture that me and Joe are, are brothers and, and such, and, and Joe, you are one terrible sinner. And you got a, a, you got a speck in your eye. It's pretty bad. And so I'm going to try to help you, but bam, I keep hitting you with my, my giant wooden log that's in my eye because I'm, and I can't get it out because bam, I keep, hit, you know, move your head like that. Bam, I keep hitting you. I keep hitting you. See, that's the paradox that Christ gives us. Now here's the important thing. Jesus doesn't say that it is not important for us to remove the speck. Wow, you trust me. That's pretty good. It's not important for us to remove that speck. He doesn't say that. What he says is first deal with the giant log, bam, that's in your head before you do it with somebody else. You see, thank you, Joe. We, we've gotten the idea that says, well, judgment is either all wrong or I just judge and there's nothing wrong with me. Guess what? You can be wrong. Years ago, a lady was in a, a, an airport, and she was hungry, and she was traveling. She's a, a speaker, and she was, uh, she was traveling, and so she went to the, uh, the, 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 the shop there and brought a, a book and a bag of cookies. And she, she's waiting for the plane. She sits down, and she starts eating her cookies and, so, and, and reading her book. And she's got her, she's got her nose in the book so enthralled, and she opens her bag up and puts it down and, and she, well, next to her, and she, she begins to read and just starts to reach down and get cookies out, and she starts doing this, and as she does this, she realizes that there's a hand of a man next to her is also doing the same thing, in her bag. How dare he? And so he's pulling his out, and he's eating one, and she pulls it out and eat one, and she's like, at first she thinks it's kind of funny, well, maybe this guy's just really hungry and he's out of guts, and so he does this, but as the bag begins to dwindle, her view changes significantly. She goes from amusement to, how dare this guy do this? And then it comes down to the, to the last cookie, and she feels for it. It's there. She knows it's there. She says, I wonder what he's going to do. 
And so she just kind of lets it sit there, and sure enough, the guy reaches into her bag and, and pulls it out, cracks it in two, and hands her one. Not making it up. It's a truth. It's a true story. Hands her one. She was incensed. She couldn't believe it. She gets on the plane, was so angry. I can't believe that. You know, I was hungry and blah, blah, blah. Gets on the plane, sits down, gets in her seat, opens up her purse, and what does she find in her purse? A full, open bag of cookies. What she didn't realize is that the, where, she, where she put it down, she put it down and slid into her purse. And this guy had happened to have the exact same bag of cookies that she had. And had the decency to break his in half and give her half. That's amazing. You see, you can be wrong. Something that you can do to help you here is to grow humility in your life. Now, that's a dangerous prayer, church. That's a dangerous prayer. I speak as one who does not have humility as a natural gift of God in my life. I just don't. I'm so good looking. How could I? But no, you know, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being kidding. See, there, there you go. I, so it's a prayer. They're like, Lord, give him humility. I, I, you know, no, ask God for humility in your life. You can be wrong, but not always. Again, you can be wrong, but you're not always wrong. See, number, point number three is judge. This is the most important part of all. Judge helpfully. You have been called to judge, church. You've been called to do it in a righteous way, in a holy way. Judge, judge helpfully. We've been commanded to judge. And a lot of times, our judgment starts out right, but it finishes judgmentally. And it finishes in a place where we are self-righteous, and we, we are hypocrites, and it's wrong. And it is hurting the church, because the church doesn't know how to judge righteously. Jesus here gave us some understanding in this. He said, hey, before you judge, pull a speck out of your, to pull out your, speck out of your brother's eye, pull the giant log out of yours, be honest with yourself, be honest with some things, but sometimes you need to help your brother pull a speck out of his eyes. See, in other words, if helping another person find freedom and actually taking steps to help them isn't your end game, you have no right judge. If the end game of your judgment is in saying, I want to help this person. I want to be a blessing. I want to judge as Jesus would, as Jesus did and continues to, to judge redemptively and not judge retributively. That's a big long word. If my end game is not that, then you're doing it wrong. And my desire and my call, but not just mine, because I know who cares what I say, but for your sake in the church, step away from judging. You're hurting us. Judging like that is clearly sin, and on the day of judgment, you will be left wanting to what the word says. If you walk in judgment without, as Jesus says here, with a heart to help somebody else, you are doing it wrong. Judging righteously, not judgmentally, is judging the heart similar to God's. Judging redemptively. The reality is, as verse 6 says, if they don't have a sense to be helped, that's the beauty of verse 6. Move on. Verse 6 says, don't, don't cast your, your pearl before swine. Some of you better realize that what God has given you, the knowledge and the understanding of following Jesus, what he's given you is pearls. 
It's a thing of incredible value. If the person who you are trying to help does not want to be helped, then move on. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is, as it says, stupid. Okay, so if you're a person here and you say, I cannot, you cannot tell me anything, pastor, or anybody else. If that's you, the Bible says, well, frankly, it says you're stupid. Why? Because having a heart, having a desire to learn and to grow and discover things that we are wrong on is valuable and is important. It's a sign of humility. And it is a way to find life and find freedom in Christ. But for those of us that are judging, we judge someone who is in sin and is wrong. If they're not willing to be helped... And the Bible says you dust off your feet and you move on. For many of us, we have to repent of either sin or repent of judging judgmentally. Um, the other day I was in Walmart. And uh, if you want to go to, if you want a temptation to judge, go to Walmart at about 10 o'clock at night. And you'll have all the chances you, you want to be judgmental. And I walked into Walmart the other night to get some stuff for my family and I found myself, which is so funny because I had heard this message and God had dealt with me on some things in my own life. And I walked into Walmart and, and, and I saw somebody. I didn't know them, but I'll be honest with you. I was instantly convicted because I judged this person. And I walked into Walmart and I was looking pretty, you know, normal. I had my sweats on and all that kind of stuff. But this person uh, didn't. I'm not going to get into details of this person, but I instantly judged this person. I instantly... Sh- sized them up and said, well, this person is this, 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 and this, and this. And I, I judged them, and I was that. I looked down my nose at them, and God dealt with me and said, Steve, see? You do it too. See, Steve, you messed this up too. See, you missed this as well. We have got to repent of either sin or repent of judging judgment because God dealt with me and said, Steve, you see that person, what's in your heart? What's in your part, the idea that you want to Judge them, because I think they probably, I was accurate in some things in their life. I'll just be honest with you. It was my heart to say, God, my heart is broken over the brokenness of that person. I could tell there's brokenness. I, I, didn't have to, I didn't have to know them. I, I knew it. There was. Again, I'm not being mean and crass. I'm just being honest. We've all done it. There's, there's brokenness there. I put my nose, my nose at that person, I said, yeah, that's, God help us. God help us to judge with righteous judgment. Because if my heart is said, Steve, said, Lord, how can I help that person find you? Lord, what can I do, even if it's just a, a matter of me praying for them, and me, 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 me stopping and saying, God, do something. And maybe God would have led me then at that point to help pay for the groceries. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I cut it off because I judged them in a minute right there. God, help us from that. Christian, you are, you are not called to not judge. You are called to judge with righteous judgment. Righteous judgment leads to repentance. Righteous judgment leads to redemption. If our judgment is not that, then we have no right to judge. I close the story of John Wesley, who told the story of a wealthy man he had respect for because well, he had no respect for because this man was known in the community as a cheap man. He was he was awful. He was very curmudgeonly, and this man had come to Christ. And John Wesley uh, 
preached a message one day, and this man came forward and gave an offering, and he, Wesley knew how much money he had, and, and he gave a very small amount, and Wesley had the guts, if you know who he was, you know this is, makes sense, had the guts to confront this guy right there at the altar and say, you fool, you have more money than this. Why aren't you giving it? The man said, I'll tell you tomorrow. So the guy came back to Wesley's office the next day, and this man humbly said, John, he said, I was known as a terrible man. I've cheated. I've lied. I spent my entire life gaining and getting at other people's expenses. He said, when I became a Christian, when I became saved, one thing God dealt with me on was that I had to make things right. He said, so I've been living on parsnips and water, as he says. Whatever parsnips are. I've been living on parsnips and water. And he said, Christ has made me an honest man, so I have been working to pay my, my creditors one by one. And he says this, and so with all these debts to pay, I can give only a few offerings above my tithe. I must settle up with my worldly neighbors and show them that the grace of God can do in the heart of a man who was once dishonest. Wesley says he apologized to the man and asked his forgiveness. Our heads and close our eyes. Let's, let's stand across this room, if you would, this morning. Church, God has called us to good things within this church. But God's also called us to judge righteously. God's called, called us to judge helpfully. Heads bowed, eyes closed, this morning, no one looking around. Today, I, I don't know where you are with this. I know where I was, and I know where I am with this. I have sensed God's challenge and conviction in my own personal life, and I would assume that some of us this morning here is, would feel the same way as well. God's challenged you. God has convicted you that maybe you're here today, and you say, Pastor, that's me. I, am, I have been a person who judges, and I re- see that that's a sin, and I re- want to repent of that sin today. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around this morning. This is a moment between people and God. If that's you and you say, Pastor, that's me. I need forgiveness. I need change because I have judged judgmentally and not righteously. If that's you, put your hands in the air across this room this morning. Man, my hands are in the air because I'm convicted of this as well this morning. Jesus, help us. Lord Jesus, change us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we repent of this, Lord God. Lord, we lay this down before you, Lord Jesus, and ask you, God, Lord, that you would forgive us and clean us and change us this morning, Jesus.